So there's this common idea that indigenous oral traditions are just myths and legends, they're fairy tales. Well, no. I mean, even, even our Western fairy tales have a moral charter, which these indigenous oral traditions do, but ingrained in that story is all the information you need to know to survive. Hello, I'm Tamsin Peach, and you're listening to The Conversation Podcast. Today we're talking about the history of astronomy in Indigenous Australia. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have more than 60,000 years of pre-colonial history, including stories about the constellations of the night sky and traditions that align with the stars and the moon. The study of this knowledge is called cultural astronomy, and today I'm speaking with Dwayne Haymaker from the University of New South Wales about what we can learn from the history of astronomy in Indigenous Australia. Astronomical traditions are really ingrained. They're really intertwined with indigenous culture all across the country and especially in the Torres Strait. Almost everything we know about, or you could argue everything that we know about indigenous Australian astronomy was recorded after colonization. So there's always that issue of what is pre-colonial. We understand the traditions are pre-colonial, but considering most of them are written down by missionaries, anthropologists, colonists, whoever, there's always that, that inherent bias in trying to understand those traditions. Although Indigenous Australians have been developing complex knowledge systems for tens of thousands of years, the academic world has only recently begun to sit up and take notice of the vast environmental and scientific intelligence contained in them. This knowledge is not only proven useful in historical and cultural contexts, but it also provides practical scientific information for survival. There's a, there's a big focus now on Indigenous knowledge systems and people finally realizing that you can't survive on a continent for 50 or 60,000 years and not have developed complex knowledge systems about the natural world. And with, with tens of thousands of years of experimentation, observation, trial by error, you figure this stuff out. And of course, you know, indigenous Australians have figured this stuff out with greater complexity than we can still imagine today. And it's finding practical uses in sort of the whitefellow world too, which I mean, <laughs> it's kind of good and bad. I mean, indigenous knowledge shouldn't have to justify itself in the eyes of white Australia. But at the same time, um, there's more sharing of knowledge now. You're not hitting the barriers with scientists who just think, oh, well, that, that, that indigenous stuff, it's neat and all, but it's not real science. I mean, there's still some that hold that mentality. I, I have to deal with them a lot. But many people are starting to realize how useful it is. So fire ecology is a big one. Bush medicines, um, ethnopharmacology... It's expanding beyond just pharmaceuticals and, and environmental practice. So indigenous weather knowledge is proving to be quite interesting and holding a lot of long-term knowledge that helps us understand climate change now. And of course, the astronomical stuff ties in with everything. It ties in with animals, with plants, with ceremony, with climate, with the land. One of the most important aspects of indigenous astronomy for Duane is that it allows him to use people's fascination with astronomy to connect them to indigenous culture. The key thing with the indigenous astronomy stuff is that it's really useful for getting people interested in indigenous culture. A lot of people, you, you talk about rocks or plants, and their you know, eyes glaze over, they get a bit bored. But if you talk to them about astronomy, astronomy always seems to be really a subject that the public finds fascinating. So when you combine that with indigenous culture, 
it really gets people interested and gets them sort of hooked in. And then you start explaining some of the complexities of this stuff, and you can see that switch in people's eyes of like, wow, I had no idea. And it's, it's, it's good people are realizing that now. I mean, I guess we all gaze at the night sky and think, what the hell's going on up there? And then, you know, that's, a, that's the hook in. Exactly right, yeah. yeah. We're all, we all got a fascination with it. And, and when you start looking at... Well, you look at both the similarities and the differences. It's easy to find differences, but the similarities are a bit astounding sometimes. So what are some of those? Oh, well, like um, the seven sisters. So the, the, the little star cluster called the Pleiades. Um, in Greek mythology, were seven sisters being pursued by the stars of Orion, the hunter, and Orion chased the, the sisters across the sky. Well, you find that, that motif, that story, everywhere around the world. It's not the same everywhere, of course, but you find that all across Australia, about Orion, the stars that we know as Orion, being a man or a group of men, many times hunters, pursuing the seven sisters, sometimes the six sisters, and the Hyades is, is an older sister protecting the younger sisters. And as the stars move from east to west, the Orion or the men are always chasing the seven sisters. And why is that the same everywhere? Don't know. Some of the different hypotheses are that, you know, when we left Africa, we had this knowledge and then it dispersed. Okay, maybe. Maybe it's that we just see things in a similar fashion. We tend to interpret natural phenomena in similar ways, so that could be it. We don't know. One question that fascinated researchers for many years was the relationship between astronomical stories and the practical knowledge that was central to the daily life of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. Amateur anthropologist and journalist Daisy Bates spent 19 years living in the South Australian desert in the early 20th century. Her recordings of the practices of Indigenous astronomy her notes about indigenous stories of the night sky and their names for stars have proven critical in Duane's research. One story she, she wrote down about Orion and the Pleiades, and you know, there's all kinds of astronomy stuff involved in it. I won't go through the story itself, but the interesting thing was towards the end, she mentions a bunch of other stars by name and mentions that this star was that animal, this star was the red cockatoo, that star was the kangaroo, this star was the little thorny devil dragon, but didn't say anything else about them. I thought, okay, well, everything that I've ever learned about Aboriginal astronomy is that if Aboriginal people denote a star as being related to an animal, that means when that star rises or sets, either the sunrise or sunset, that means something. Like it ties them with some aspect of the behavioral, like when they breed. And went through and did a detailed study, and in every single one of those animals, in every case, tied into when that, you know, if it was a bird laying eggs or chicks hatching or something like that, it, every single case it, it, it synced in very nicely. So it was fantastic to be able to sort of piece that knowledge back together. Duane says that this synchronicity between Aboriginal stories about stars and animal behaviour allowed some Indigenous cultures to mark the coming and going of seasons. Down here in the Sydney coast region, the blooming of the wattle signified the start of winter, which coincided with the rising of the Pleiades just before sunrise, and that also timed in with the orca migrations. So the orcas would, would migrate north and the Aboriginal people had this symbiotic relationship with the orcas, where the orcas would help drive food into shore, and then they would give you know, the, the awful, the off products to the, to the orca. 
Um, in the central desert, the Pleiades rising just before sunrise also was the start of winter, which is why the seven sisters were often referred to as ice maidens. You start to get the frost about that time. But it also signified the start of the uh, dingo breeding season. One of, the, one of the neat personal experiences I've had with this was when I went up to the Torres Straits about six months ago. So the director of our, our center, Professor Martin Nakata, he's an islander, grew up on the islands. And he and I were going up to visit Murray Island. And we stayed on, on Thursday Island overnight. And we were sitting outside, and I noticed that the constellation Bidum, the shark, which is the stars of the Big Dipper, I noticed that it was tilted down, so as soon as it got dark, you could see the nose of the shark touching the horizon, touching the water. And I remember commenting to Professor Nakata that I'd read that that means the shark breeding season has started, and you wanted to stay out of the water. He says, I'll wait till tomorrow. So we flew up to Murray, to Murray Island, dropped our bags off the guest house, and walked down to the uh, beach. And <laughs> I got video, it's hard to describe, in ankle-deep water, there were sharks everywhere, just going crazy, just back and forth. And I'm not talking like, you know, two meters of water, I'm talking like six inches of water. They were just going crazy, and he looks at me and smiles, and I'm like, wow, this is pretty amazing stuff, you know. It was while researching the astronomy of the Torres Strait region in northern Queensland that Duane came across one of the most fascinating and unique uses of stars to predict the weather. Their entire culture is based on astronomy and the story of Tagai, which is a constellation that takes up about half the sky. But one of the neat things I found out reading some of the journals from the 1800s, and I found this somewhere else in Melanesia, I think it was in Vanuatu that the islanders would look at the degree of scintillation of the star, so how much it twinkled, to determine how much moisture was in the atmosphere, to determine what the weather was going to be like, to predict weather and to predict seasonal change. So I've never, never really heard of that before. So my, you know, just looking at the stars and seeing how much they twinkle to determine that, that change. And they distinguished planets from stars because planets didn't twinkle. So that was, that was pretty cool. I was like, that's awesome. Perhaps the most obvious use for astronomy was in navigation. But for many years, European settlers believed that indigenous Australians did not use stars to guide them around the vast Australian landscape or its waters. There was this really interesting myth going around, and this is not myth in the oral tradition sense, but myth in the not true sense, that Aboriginal people didn't navigate by the stars. And there were some early colonists and missionaries who said that, oh, Aboriginal people, they, they don't navigate by the stars, they don't go out at night. And, okay, maybe that was true with some areas, but we do find evidence that Aboriginal people navigated at night. Uh, the Warman people use Scorpius in the sky as sort of a clock, you know, and, and near the Milky Way, depending on its orientation in the sky, they can tell what time it is. Well, of course, we know the Torres Strait Islanders certainly use navigation. That was the whole center point of their culture, being a seafaring people. And some new research that has come out showed that the Gamilaroi and Yuwagi people of north central New South Wales actually had star maps. Not in the traditional sense. What they were were sort of like waypoints. So the constellations in the sky roughly correlated to features on the land. And by memorizing the orientation, the positions of the stars in the sky, they could memorize the features on the land and travel you know, into mid-Queensland, for example. They didn't follow a star to go a certain direction, but that they used the star maps as a mnemonic, a way of remembering how to get from point A to point B. So it's a, a different way of thinking about navigation.
The complexity of oral traditions and the fact that they entwine all aspects of Indigenous culture meant that, for a long time, the underlying scientific basis of these oral stories were ignored by non-Indigenous academic researchers. Like I mentioned before, is this common idea that Indigenous oral traditions are just myths and legends, they're fairy tales. Well, no. I mean, even, even our Western fairy tales have a moral charter, which these Indigenous oral traditions do, but ingrained in that story is all the information you need to know to survive. The sacred law, the social rules, the social structure, all of that was in these intertwined. So if you're a researcher like myself, going in researching these old traditions, there's specific things that I'd be looking for. Because of my science background, I try to look at the science that's incorporated in the in the oral traditions. So I'm always looking at that aspect, where somebody else might be more interested in the ceremonial or the sacred law or the social structures. It's, it's a real challenge to go through and do this kind of research because you need such a broad background. So if an academic has difficulty doing that, how do you expect the general public to be able to do it? And Duane says that indigenous astronomical traditions that link back to a way of life 10,000s of years old are still evolving today. They can inform modern Western science in ways that we are yet to imagine. So when it comes to the astronomy stuff, I mean, that's a good one, because it might seem that it's fairly intangible. With fire ecology, it's easy to see the application. With bush medicine or bush foods, easy to see the application. With astronomy, it seems a bit more abstract. But when we look at the astronomy, we learn things about animal behavior. We learn things about hunting, gathering, fishing, and agriculture. We learn about long-term seasons that maybe uh, modern, non-indigenous Australia doesn't recognize, but a lot of the indigenous cultures had short seasons and they had long-term seasons through long-term climatic change. So the uh, La Nina would be an example. They're Aboriginal um, traditions that describe that. So because astronomy sort of links with every other facet of indigenous culture, we don't know all the ways in which it'll help. We're bound to find more and more. You know, so some of them, like you know, when an eclipse occurs or a comet occurs or maybe even a supernova, those oral traditions might be able to be supplemented with the modern astrophysical data to help pinpoint a time or a place or when it was visible. A lot of that stuff's still up in the air at the moment. Will science learn something from indigenous knowledge? I'm, I'm positive that it will. But what exactly? Well, that, that is being found out as we speak.